Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and today we're here with co-directors of the Right Question Institute discussing their new book, Make Just One Change. Welcome to the EdCast, Dan Rothstein and Luz Santana. Thank you. Thank you for having us. I guess I would have to ask as my first question, Dan and Luz, what is that one change that people need to make? It's the title of your book. Uh, it, it is a small but a significant shift in practice in which the teachers turn the thinking over to the students. Rather than teachers asking questions of the students, it is about helping students ask their own questions. Say more about that, Dan. In terms of asking their own questions, is there some sort of technique that you've developed? I know in the book you talk about the question formulation technique. That's right. It's a, it's a process that we've developed over many years of work that we've done in communities around the country, learning from people who have not been accustomed to participating in decisions that affect them. We've done a lot of work in low-income communities. And we heard, actually, the whole idea for our work came from parents in Lawrence, Massachusetts, who said they weren't participating in their children's education because they didn't even know what to ask. So we were very smart. We thought, we know how to handle that problem. We gave them a list of questions, and all of a sudden we discovered that the problem is not not knowing, uh, not having a list of questions, but rather not knowing how to ask your own questions. So we developed a technique that helps people learn how to produce their own questions, improve their questions, and strategize on how to use them. Do you mind walking us through the pedagogy of that technique and, and the process that you go through to improving the asking of right questions? Sure. The, the, the basic part starts with the teacher designing what we call a question focus. Teachers are accustomed to developing prompts to stimulate student thinking, asking questions of students to get them thinking. It's a practice that goes back 2,500 years to Socrates of trying to to get students thinking through a series of questions posed by the teacher. This changes it. This presents a, a statement, a situation, an issue, a problem to the student as the question focus. We call it a question focus or a cue focus. And at that point, the students begin a process in which they're producing questions using a set of rules that we've developed that help students learn how to develop their own questions. One of the most important of those four rules is to not stop to judge, analyze, or discuss any question. So students understand that their job is to ask questions and not to stop and discuss it. Then they move to a process in which they're improving their questions. They're looking at the difference between open and close-ended questions. They're understanding the advantages and disadvantages of using both kinds of questions, that there's different situations in which you need to be able to use one question versus another kind of question. They actually practice changing from open to closed and closed to open. It's a very interesting intellectual exercise as people begin to see that the way you ask a question will yield different kinds of information. And finally, there's a piece on prioritization where they look at their questions, they think about which ones do we need answered first, which ones do we need answered in order to implement this project, to design a research project, to design a science experiment, to understand a text better. So the teacher gives them some guidelines on prioritization. They do that. They also uh, work on next steps, how they're going to use their questions. And then it concludes with students reflecting on what they learned and how they learned. Luz, I'm curious, can you talk about a concrete example of how you've seen this technique in action in a school that you've uh, been witness to? 
Um, well, um, teachers have used the process to help students develop experiments. And for that, like Dan said, they will come up with uh, a question focus related to the subject area. And um, a teacher at Boston Day and Evening Academy, um, she developed a question focus called um, Pollution Harms Boston Residents. And then she had the students going through the question formulation process. They decided which questions were helpful to conduct an experiment. And what the teacher found was that the students were able to design the experiment in a more easier way than ever by going through the question formulation uh, process. I think what's really interesting about this is it sounds so simple in terms of, you know, it's teach students to ask their own questions, yet it's extraordinarily complex. It's, it's really interesting that you say that, Matt, because uh, we really are very grateful to Harvard Education Press asking us to write the book because we've been at this work for many years, been amazed by what people have been able to do with this process, but haven't really been able to explain not just clearly uh, how you do it, but also why it has such an impact. And what we learned through the writing of the book was that we actually have designed a process that produces three different kinds of thinking abilities in one process. Students do divergent thinking, students do convergent thinking, and they also do metacognition because they're learning how to create many possibilities through many questions and how to create a process that allows them to do that. They are learning how to then sharpen their questions, think more strategically, narrow it down. They're doing convergent thinking. And throughout, they're being asked to think about what might be difficult about doing this divergent thinking. Those terms are not used in the question formulation technique. They're explained in the book so that teachers and educators can see that when they're teaching, as you said, this very simple method, they're actually developing very sophisticated thinking abilities in a very short period of time. We've had teachers who can use this almost as a do now, almost as a quick 10-minute, 20-minute exercise to get students at the beginning of a unit thinking about themes that the teacher knows that they're going to need to explore further on. Some teachers, it's very interesting, have used it at the end of a unit when, in a sense, the students have learned what they're supposed to learn, but the kinds of questions they're asking at that point are very different than what they asked at the beginning. I'm curious, does this technique work better in certain subjects or in different types of schools? It works well for all uh, subject areas and regardless of the type of school. It has been used uh, successfully with students in low-income communities, but also in communities where students are doing well. Uh, the process is easy and all students can benefit from it. One of the things that we have seen and we have heard from teachers, it is that uh, it works very well with students who usually don't participate, with students from um, low-income, disadvantaged communities. Um, one teacher observed that it is a great strategy to engage Latino and African-American students. We've also seen that uh, students who are children of university faculty, software engineers, have come in and they're accustomed to giving the answers or to focusing on getting the right answer right away. So this challenges them in a different way. They actually have to begin a, a new kind of thinking process. And you have these wonderful comments from students who say, for example, 
just when you think you figured out the question you need to ask, you ask another one, and then you see there's all these other possibilities you hadn't thought of. So they capture perfectly that discovery process. And it's a discovery process that people at the highest levels of academia understand is important. People in the business world understand is important. Uh, Edward Witten, who's considered Einstein's successor at the Institute for Advanced uh, Studies in Princeton, was asked how he spends his day. He says, I have to spend much of my time figuring out what are the right questions to ask. So this is a very sophisticated skill, and it can be used by people who are at a very high level of education and people who are really just in the beginning of the process. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. Did you know that the Harvard EdCast features several HGSC alumni? From Deborah Beal to John Marrow, even the EdCast you're listening to right now is with EdSchool alum Dan Rothstein. Perhaps you too would be interested in one day being an alum. A good place to start is through a virtual information session about admissions and financial aid this November 9th or an EDLD-specific info session this November 17th. For more information, all you have to do is go to gse.harvard.edu and click on the admissions tab at the top, or just give them a call at 617-495-3414. Now, back to the EdCast. With all the issues in education, a lot of people think the solution is, let's improve technology in schools. Let's put uh, smart boards in the classroom. Let's uh, allow iPad usage and things like that. It's very high-tech solutions. Your solution involves almost no technology at all. It involves no technology. It's a low-tech solution, and it's very, uh, it's not an expensive solution. Um, what has been the reaction to people uh, when you do present this in schools, saying here's a, a paradigm shift concept that costs nothing, maybe aside from the cost of the book, uh, and, and that it can be integrated in 20 minutes? People become aware that they have been working in a different way, and usually, oh, why didn't I think about that? Or I, I have been look. This is what I have been looking for. Um, another thing is that some people, because of the way that the question formulation technique is designed, they say that it's some sort of technology because the process is scaffolded. There is some rigor to it. We've also noticed it's really interesting how this can be applied uh, in many different arenas. You have somebody here at Harvard who is the director of the dance program, Jill Johnson, who's very interested in the role of inquiry in the arts. There's tremendous potential for people to use this process and to be very creative and to think creatively. There's in the Newsweek did an article last year on the creativity crisis, and they talked about how very often people think that creativity is dependent upon divergent thinking alone, but actually it's a combination of divergent and convergent thinking. You have to be able to go from many ideas to a focus. So what you named is really is really what we're after. Is we want to communicate that you can make an impact, you can make a difference immediately with a very simple and a very low-cost strategy. I'm curious, in terms of adjustment, is it harder for the teachers to adjust to this new sort of pedagogy or for the students to adjust to this new sort of empowerment of question asking? Uh, Well, there is a shift for both uh, teachers and students because they have to start working in a different way rather than asking the questions they are thinking, uh, uh, turning the thinking over. And the students are not accustomed to that. So for them, it's also a shift because uh, they get to see that what is expected of them is different. They have to be thinking. But when they get the opportunity, what they have said is that they feel smart. 
that they feel more confident about their capabilities, that this is something that they can do and that they are willing to do, not only in school, but also to use the same uh, skill in their daily life. I'm curious, uh, how does the book read? Does it read like a curriculum guide, like a pedagogy document, or is there an overarching narrative? What are people to expect when they, you know, if they run into this book? Well, the book offers a way through the process. You basically are unpacking the question formulation technique. And it was very interesting for us in writing it that, to think that we could take these simple four rules for producing questions and look at how do they actually shift some of the power balance in a classroom that students learn to work respectfully with each other in ways that they hadn't done before. The teachers observe that it almost becomes a classroom management technique because they see that students learn how to take ownership of their own learning. You see the engagement in new ways. So the book is designed in a way so that you can follow each step of the question formulation technique, see examples of different teachers at different age levels, uh, in different subject areas, in different kinds of communities, using it, how one uses it for literature, how to introduce a, a theme in, in literature, another for the science experiment. Math, one math teacher used it as a way to get students to think as mathematicians, turning answers into questions, into the next question. So it gives teachers that, that opportunity to see how they can take the simple tool and produce very sophisticated thinking through each step of the process. I'm just curious too now back to the sort of personal side, how did the two of you meet and how did this idea sort of bubble up to become this now Harvard Education Press book? Well, I was the director of neighborhood planning in Lawrence, Massachusetts many years ago, and I was working on a dropout prevention program. Um, and there were some community meetings. I went to one agency, and we were talking about it with people there. And there was one person who was sitting at the back of the room who was very quiet the whole time. At the end, she raised, she raised her hand, and she asked a question. I thought, wow, that was quite a question and kind of captured everything that we needed to be thinking. Well, that was Luz Santana. So, <laughs> so the first time we got funds to hire somebody to work with parents in the community, I asked Luz if she would work with us. So we began working that way many years ago, and then we've become full collaborators uh, over the years in our work at the Right Question Institute. And let me say something. Right now we have what we call a technique, but it didn't used to be like that. When we began, we had like a 32-hour curriculum to teach some of the same skills. And what we have been doing is um, making it more accessible, simplifying it, because we know that right now it is difficult to implement strategies that are convoluted. So what we have done is to distill a way of building these kinds of skills. So students will think divergently, convergently, and so they will also have the metacognitive skill. So. Uh, we go for it. Less is more. I'm curious, where can someone get the book? Uh, the best place to get it actually is at the Harvard Education Press website. We've heard from people around the country who say they get it very quickly through, the, through that. Uh, and we've also uh, heard from teachers who had, uh, we heard from a curriculum di um, director in Chesterfield, Virginia yesterday who was so excited about the book for her social studies teacher saw that she wanted more of them to have it to begin to have discussions about how to do it because she said, what I try to do is I try to start where teachers are. And so the whole idea, the title of the book, Make Just One Change, is we're not asking teachers to throw out everything they know, to adopt a whole new curriculum, to have to get extended hours of training. 
It's about here's one technique you can insert into your classroom. And what you will see is three direct results, outcomes of that. One is students will be more engaged, they'll take more ownership of their learning, and they'll learn more. The name of the book is Make Just One Change, Teach Students to Ask Their Own Questions. Our guests today were Dan Rothstein and Luz Santana. Thank you so much for appearing on the EdCast. Thank, Thank you. you. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening. The Harvard Graduate School of Education, working at the nexus of practice, policy, and research.